0: Peace family, you tapped into the DOA TBM. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe for more content and updates. This Shit. one's so groovy, baby.
1: Six years ago now, Shamina Begin left her home in East London for a new life in war-torn Syria. She would become infamous worldwide as an ISIS bride.
2: She is now desperate to come home from the Syrian detention camp where she's being held. But the Home Office has revoked her British citizenship and the courts have refused her appeals to come back. We're going to be speaking to her in her first live interview in just a moment. We can cross now to the Al-Raj camp. Shamima there is already furious reaction to your presence on the program and I'll tell you the reason why. Because when someone goes to join ISIS, they are considered a terrorist. Is that a fair description of you? Um,
3: no, I don't think so, because the reason I came to ISIS, to Syria, was not for any violent reasons, not because I wanted to be a terrorist. It was because I thought I was doing the right thing as a Muslim. And I, was, I, I did not want to hurt anyone you know, in Syria or anywhere else in the world
0: yes there we see guys a brief introduction Shamina begum definitely been a controversial issue definitely let us know your thoughts in the comments i'm going to be joined by aston walker who's going to be giving his thoughts on the situation and scenario so just looking at that introductionary clip it's been reached with an inundation of dislikes you know people definitely weren't in support i've seen around the show or hearing the interview but um you know i guess people definitely want to hear her side of the story um, she'd introduced to new look, I think the last time we would seen her, she was in the um, Islamic hijab and stuff, and she said she thought going to Syria was being, um, you know, good Muslim and stuff, and um, she wasn't going under any violent pretenses. So we're going to see if we can get a bit of a clip from Aston Walker to give you an introduction to this guy.
4: Aston Walker, I was born in Paddington, London, uh, 1970. I believe, uh, Jimi Hendrix' voodoo child is number one, thanks to the power group.
0: I have two younger brothers, uh, quite a large family, i sort of, uh, mm-hmm. on both sides. My mum's from Barbados, dad's from Jamaica.
4: Uh, my dad converted to Islam in the seventies. He was a Rasta uh, prior to that. Uh, grew up in a suburb of Birmingham known as Chardin quite informative in the sense that, <laughs> informative in the sense that we grew up near a, a lovely park, but like the houses are really grotty kind of thing. The mazes are nuts and down there. was a predominantly predominantly sort of a Caucasian white sort of area. So we, we did tend to stand out, obviously, clearly. And uh, there was, there's a few of sort of West Indian families scattered around. And um, yeah, so all intents and purposes. Broadly, an a enjoyable sort of uh, childhood, uh, lots of interesting things going on. Uh, obviously, it, it was the times of youth clubs and uh, went to local schools there
0: and um, yeah, kind of enjoyed it, yeah. I would say re- religion played the role in the sense that we were a predominantly Christian family, I would say
4: but um, it wasn't sort of like rigorously in so to speak. We went to Sunday schools, there was sort of a local church group that we sort of used to congregate for clubs and so forth. And, but it wasn't really like, it didn't sort of loom large, sort of growing up. But the one thing that I do remember is my dad taking me to a mosque. And I remember praying at home, I was sort of like, I was about six or seven. And that, that had a lasting impression, because when I went to senior school and I met sort of Muslim brothers from Smalley, small I'd always identify as a Muslim, you know, even though I wasn't sort of practicing it, but I wouldn't identify as a Muslim. My teenage years were fraught with all sorts of <laughs> calamitous incidences that sort of were born of, me really, sort of like, because my, my father left when I was sort of like eight, well he got deported, and um, my my life sort of was was very much influenced by the sort of predominantly sort of gang, sort of football hooligan culture of which I was a fringe participant, others may disagree but that's my story and I'm sticking to it, so and, and sort of like the subcultures, that were quite predominant in the era. Car theft was a big feature.
0: That was a major feature.
3: And really- Yeah, guys. So
0: just a little brief introduction there. We see Aston will have a journalist suit, and we'll be getting back into the topic of Shubham Bego yeah so peace family like i said we was going to be joined by aston walker mm-hmm. so the man is in the building and he's joined us you just saw a little brief clip with a small introduction to some of his story uh what's good, sir uh?
4: good everything's alhamdulillah all praise is due to allah everything's good
0: thanks i, I got you man so we appreciate you definitely taking time to chime in at this now we know that um uh, you can speak as a member of the Muslim community yourself, but you're not speaking for the holistic community. You know, nobody can speak for everybody, but we appreciate you being able to give your um, astute knowledge on some of this, these matters going on. Mm-hmm. Well,
4: I I embraced Islam when I was 20, uh, 1991. And to to be, you know, I'm no scholar. Yeah, I'm no like religious authority. So it's a 30 year journey and a 30 year study, if you will, that I'm sort of happy to share with your audience.
0: Yeah. I know that sounds good. I mean, one of the things that people had asked us to sort of do is delve into or decipher, I guess, some of the understanding. No. I guess in the complexity of Islam, but taking, you know, recent events which we've seen with um, the story of Shamina Begum, there's been a proportion of people saying, well, you know, in her case, she had said that she went out to Syria to um, practice Islam. She didn't go out there to be a terrorist, but there seems to be a bit of um, disconnection with what I guess people are seeing or how things sort of why out So I'm gonna play a short clip of the should we did this morning, and then we're gonna start chatting. So, can
2: now. you explain what you mean by wanting to do the right thing by leaving your family and going to join a death cult? We're
0: interrupted by an advert. At
3: the time, firstly, I did not know that it was a death cult. I thought it was an Islamic community that I was joining and at the time i had just recently started becoming very religious and i was being told i was being fed a lot of information on the internet by people in isis telling me that i need to i need to come because i can't be a good muslim in the uk and that my family will only drag me down with them so
0: you were you were 15. before we get back to this you know we want to take a short excerpt from that because she speaks on you know wanting to be a good Muslim and it being purported that you can't be a good Muslim within the UK. Um, you yourself as a practitioner of Islam, how do you feel to that statement? Well,
4: okay, uh, there's quite a lot to unpack there in that statement. Now, the thing is, one, Islam, when you look at the Quran, if you go back to the real basics, it starts with Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So the rough translation of that is is with the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. So it's let, let, let us be merciful and generous. She's a very young woman. She's had a very traumatic experience. She was sort of, how should I put it? Brainwashed, for want of a better word, you know? Very young and vulnerable young woman and clearly there's theres the question of mercy yeah so Islam merciful Lord uh, and it beholds us as individuals whether whether Muslim or non-muslim to extend some, some sort of like calm level-headed empathy so, so it's, it's more about empathy good now to the to the point of practicing Islam in the West. Now, when the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was entrusted with his mission in Mecca, he was surrounded by he, he was in a he was in a state or surrounded by people who positively hated him. <laughs> yeah, I mean he was oppressed, he had camel feces and stones flung, flung at him by the youth and he was basically his followers are terrorized tortured and murdered so so we can clearly put to bed the lie that you, you, you can only be a Muslim in this area or that area because the whole initial sort of mission of Islam began in very oppressive dangerous, circumstances. And the Prophet endured his family, the Ahlul Bayt, which is Fatima, Hassan, Hussein, and Imam Ali, Prophet's cousin. They endured, you see, to where obviously the stage where now in the the contemporary 21st century, people can learn about Islam and learn about its fundamentals, etc, etc. So slightly disingenuous, of what she what she was saying there, but again, just to clear up the the myth, <laughs> Islam, being a Muslim, ironically, paradoxically, is compatible with living anywhere. You see,
0: so yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And um, you know, we were growing up within the UK. I don't feel as though um, it's that anti-Islamic. You know, we see a lot of stores, a lot of businesses, a lot of um members of the community who follow the Islamic faith and have lived here for years with pretty much no issues. I would say some things were greatly exasperated after nine eleven, where after that I can't really speak from the shoes of somebody else if they say they experienced um, you know, a bit more people putting their noses up at um, and stuff like that. But um even though me as a black man I think, you know, we experienced that across the board in different capacities. But um uh, you know, to kind of get back to the topic of this, let's let's check back a little bit more of this clip. In, yeah. When you
1: left with your your two friends, are you are you saying here, based on that last yeah. answer, Shamima, are you saying that you were groomed?
3: I think yes, I was groomed and taken advantage of and manipulated into coming. Yes.
1: What did you think you were going to do because when most
3: fifteen-year-olds got- don't know?
1: So, it's all right, we've got a bit of a delay on this, so we're going to talk over each other from time to time. That's just going to yeah. happen. Um, what did you think yeah. you were going to do when you got to Syria? What were you expecting to do? What were you expecting to happen to you?
3: Just get married and have children and live an Islamic, a pure Islamic life. You know,
1: but, you that, must, yeah. but, but you must have known what was going on in Syria, that there was a full-scale war going on. Um, and that ISIS was attempting to basically colonise the Middle East through acts of brutal terror. I mean, you must have known that.
3: I did not know that there was war. I I knew that there was war, but not in the places where women and children were living. I I thought where I was going, it would be safe for me and for any children I would have. And I did not know that ISIS... you know, take over oh the world. I just thought they wanted their small piece of land where they could live an Islamic life. Well,
1: know? let me ask you a core question here then, Shamima. Are you the British people to yeah. to forgive you? And if you are asking the British people to forgive you, why should we?
3: I am asking the British people to forgive me because I made a mistake at a very young age, you know. Most young people don't know what they want to do with their lives, and they are very confused, and they can easily be fall into things like this. And I know it's very hard for the British people mm-hmm. to try and forgive me, because you know they've they've lived in fear of ISIS, they've lost loved ones because of ISIS. But I also have lived in fear of ISIS, and I also have loved, lost loved ones because of ISIS. So I can sympathize with them in that way. But, and I I know that it's very hard for them to forgive me, but. I say from the bottom of my heart that I am so sorry if I ever offended anyone by coming here, if I ever offended anyone by the things I said in hall. I just said those things because I lived in fear of the women and I did not want to do those interviews anyway. And I was unaware of what ISIS had done in the UK and in other parts of the world. And she, I should not have been making comments about things okay, I you didn't gotta know start about. Right there well, a,
0: because you made an interesting point earlier about, um, you know, messy one of the things we was exploring within the whole context of this is, I guess, aids the response from the British public. As we can even see with this clip, there's an inundation of, um, you know, dislikes. People weren't in support, I've even seen her have the interview to with I would say I do feel the Good Morning Britain um, team uh, were, well, you know, they handled it well enough. Um, they, they did seem a bit not unnerved at the same time because, you know, it's a huge interview of in the circumstances and the situation. but. You know, with her plea to the British public, one of the things that we got a lot of commentary from, which might sound strange, but people were saying they're not sure how sincere she is, based on the nasty interviews and the stuff that was done when she was, um, you know, wearing the hijab and stuff like that. And now she's sort of taking it off—is it a, a bid to sort of appease the British public and say, okay, you know, I'm, I've kind of toned down a bit? But then at the same time, she's advocating being a of uh, Muslim, so. Um, I mean, that was one of the points we had. do um, just in terms of the British public forgiving her based on what she's saying, you know, being rude and stuff like that. We do hear a lot about these things. Uh, what, what would you say to that? Well, there, there, there's,
4: a, there's a very interesting issue here. And I like to call it atomization, yeah? Which I've spoken about, you know, on my radio show, blogs, interviews. And that's where humanity people in general the news media have been habitualized to quick fixes and soundbites so i'm going to take you back 1400 years yeah <laughs> okay now when the prophet peace be upon him was alive he as we as i mentioned earlier he was being terrorized by the bani Umayyah and the hypocrites or the monarchics. Monarfic is the Arabic word for hypocrites. There's a whole chapter in the Quran called the hypocrites. And we have to look at some key moments in Islam in the early days. And one of the key things to note are two personalities, which will reoccur from the time of the Prophet, after the Prophet passed away, the subsequent empires, and then right up to the 20th and the 21st century with ISIS. And I, I hope in as quick and uh, compressed time to, to hopefully get that across to, to the listeners of the audience here. Now, Abu Bakr and Umar are sort of seen as, they were the first and second caliphs of Islam. They're praised by, and you've heard of, I'm sure the audience would have heard of, Sunni Muslims. So. Shamima Begum joined the group that is affiliated and part of the Sunni Ahlul sunnah wal-Jama'ah milieu, yes? So that's what she's part of, that's what ISIS is part of, Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Abdul Wahhab, the, these sorts of personalities, Abu Hanifa, etc., etc. So that's the sort of strand, and this all goes back to Abu Bakr and Umar, who were companions of the Prophet. Now... As to their companionship, as to their personality, and again, I'm only quoting from the history books. So any listeners here jumping up, you know, getting all emotional and rolled up and want to kill Aston Walk or whatever, I mean, do as you please anyway. You yeah, know
0: we, I mean? we, we don't have any listeners like that, but we don't yeah. have fringe, fringe, <laughs> fringe people out there. That, as you exactly,
4: said. Exactly, exactly. And, and I'm more than equipped, you know, I'm, I'm no tough guy, but um, I've, I've certainly uh, made a contribution, yeah? So the issue at hand is Abu Bakr and Umar were two hypocrites. They were non-believers in Islam, according to the history books. How do we know this? We know this by their belligerent attitude towards the Prophet. Their daughters married the Prophet who treated the Prophet terribly. And again, you know, I'm a Shiite Muslim, I'm a follower of the 12 at Shia Muslim madhab, so to get my biases out there in the open. So we know, for example, these two personalities and their daughters made the Prophet's life hell. Let me give you some examples. When the Prophet was sort of dying, was passing away, there's a famous chapter in Sahih Bukhari, the calamity of Thursday, or the calamity of the pen. So the Prophet on his deathbed. This is 11 after the Hijra. So you can get some sort of perspective there for the more historically astute. astute. <laughs> and, uh, and historically. Active. So the Prophet on his deathbed, and he asked for a pen so that he could write down his will. Now these two personalities, one of them, Umar, called the Prophet delirious. <laughs> yeah, he said he was delirious. So that's how, how much faith he had in the mission that the Prophet was entrusted with. And this caused such a commotion because you had two factions. You had the factions, the faction that loved the Prophet and his family, Imam Hassan, Imam Hussein, Imam Ali and Fatima. And then you had another faction, the Sunnis and the Ahl sunnah and ISIS, who hated the Prophet and his family you see? And this is what GMB or BBC, because they're very knowledgeable. We've got personalities like Hamza Yusuf, Timothy Winters, Dr. Timothy Winters at Cambridge. They are fully briefed on the nuances and the differences and the history. Us mere lay people will struggle, but I can assure you that GMB, the BBC, know all that what I'm telling you and and then some. Yeah, of course, so, yeah. Y- y- you know, let, let's just get that out there. Yeah? They're not, do you feel they're not laying that out to the public? That is correct. So we have these belligerents, these hypocrites, who as soon as the Prophet passed away, then launched a terror campaign against the Prophet's family. So when you hear Muslims, so-called Muslims, in inverted commas, talk about, oh, Islam is a religion of peace and terror... What it is, is these Sunni people, people who fight, I I was a Sunni for many years, were part of the Bani Umayya, Khalid bin Walid, Abu Bakr Umar, who were terrorizing and murdering and killing and chopping off the heads of the Prophet's family. So that's 1400 years ago. Then we have the Islamic expansion into Africa. Yeah, which a lot of people were And they had this dreadful system of mutilating African boys to make eunuchs. So right there, we have a separation from what I said earlier, Bismillah, the mercy of Allah, and this terrorist nation building.
0: A barbarism.
4: Absolutely. So that savagery in the name of the Quran, in the name of Allah, is separate from the prophet's family and the prophet's mission. So, we, we, I'm just putting
0: clear he's making that plain. So, there's you know two um different um sides of factions that's correct. Now, in
4: uh, what's happening to the youth in England, and we have you know, Channel 4 dispatches have done work on Green Lane, which I was a very successful recruiter. I, I was also part of an ISIS, Salafi faction at Green Lane, when I embraced.
0: Is that in the Birmingham must I believe? They, That's they, they right. And Are they, they still, still going, going or they mean? Still
4: going, and then you've got Wright Street in Small Heath. I know the personalities there, the lead personalities there. I also brought them to Green Lane. Uh, you know, I'm the guy. If okay. you hear? Musa, they'll know me as Musa, yeah? Moses, uh, Tin Can, whatever. So, I was the guy who recruited probably about 200 people to Green Lane Mosque. And when I studied the, you know, and there were jihadis, many, many brothers and sisters went to Bosnia, and, you know, we know about Mozambique and Guantanamo Bay. I also know Mozambique, also, Shaheed. So, I know these personalities. I've met them been to their houses you know you know they can deny that they've met me till they're blue in the face yeah it, it doesn't matter because that's sort of a fashionable thing is you know oh, oh i remember you vaguely you know i so my my then wife i was living in the houses with some of these personalities you know the the the, the oh gosh his name sticks on mine now bilal davis yeah okay. studied in yeah, Abu uh,
0: Haki, Haki, Haki,
4: Haki. that's right Abdul Haki uh, Saman, Sam so I know all these people, so I'm fully familiar so the point is you have the fact now I've mentioned Imam Ali and we'll get to Shamim in Syria I'm just giving you the background now yeah take uh, your time
0: brother. we appreciate the, um, the context no problem so the, the,
4: the hardcore issue of we have to look at the status of the Prophet's cousin because imagine Shamim and Isis and the Salafi and the Ibn Taymiyyah and the Ibn Abdul Wahhab they talk about the companions and oh, we can't discuss what the companions went through and blah, blah. Now, during the time after the Prophet passed away, Imam Mali, who was the sword and the protector of the Prophet, you know, the Prophet loved him, loved his children, and The Prophet said, these these are in the Sunni books, that Imam Ali is with the truth and the truth is with Ali. Yeah? Imam Ali is like Harun to Musa, you know? So there's all these high status. But what GMB, BBC are not telling, and Timothy Winters at Cambridge, Hamza Youssef are not telling you, is when the Prophet passed away, it was terror upon terror. They were killing the people that loved Imam Ali and Ahlul Bayt. Ahmad bin Yasir uh, fought against Ma'awiyah. Ma'awiyah was one of the famous caliphs who people venerate. He was a Christian. Can you believe that? This is what they're not telling you. Islam had a Christian caliph. This is all in the history books. Do the research, do the Google. You know, don't be looking at, you know, don't want to be seeing on YouTube. Aston, walk it? You know, grow up. Look at the history book. Read, learn some Arabic, and read, read a book. Maaria, the I believe he'd be after Imam Ali. Then his son Imam Hassan was Caliph for about six months. Then he was poisoned by his wife under Maaria. He was in Syria because I'm all, you know, keep it back in Syria. And Ma'aru was a Christian. He had no beard, yeah, and he was a hypocrite. He was a hypocrite, even though he was a companion of the prophet, because how they brainwashed the young people, like Shamim and others, is they say, oh, this person was a, was a companion of the prophet, so he's a good person. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that in real life, for heaven's sake. doesn't it? There's a lot of immaturity and ignorance you know, the minute you look at the terror, because Islamic terror is a thing of the Sunni and to a certain degree, the modern Shia um, milieu, Yeah, you know, this idea, it's just ignorance, whether it's Khomeini and, you know, the murder in 1988 of all them young people. So no, no one's free of this hypocrisy. You know, they can wear turbans and speak beautiful Arabic and under mimba till so they're blue in the face. Like I said to you, if you're chopping off and mutilating black boys for units, then I've got no time for you. You're just the devil. I don't care how much Quran you're espousing. I don't care how much love you professor for Imam Hussein and Hassan because imams of the Ahlul Bayt did not mutilate black boys. End up. Allah does not. Uh, support anyone, any human being who's mutilated black boys
0: in the, the story. Yeah, it's so well, well, I mean, even to slightly touch on that topic, because I feel that's one thing that we definitely see a lot of response in from the British public, not necessarily just towards that point, but they feel as though um, there is a proportion of people who state that, you know, they're about peace and inclusion and, and you know, not being uh, racist to other people and, uh, not chastising other people for their beliefs and stuff. They say it's, it's actually in the text that, you know, you should treat people the same, that they have the same, you know, faith as you or not. But sometimes we don't see that in smaller pockets of groups and communities, as you say, because people still exhibit um, mentalities of ignorance and stuff. I mean, one thing, just to kind of get back to the Shamina topic as well, was um, I think the public said she made a point during the interview that she didn't you know, she was a problem that women and children would be uh be stuff and i think people said they found that it, you know she would not just care about everybody or she would just care if it's a point one way and stuff like that so uh, i want to see if i can pull up that last part of that clip in the Explain what you mean by that. Um, When you were located
1: by, I think it was the Times newspaper, and a journalist, you gave an interview where you came across as completely unrepentant, very different from the way you're speaking now. You came across as somebody who basically thought you had done the right thing, and that ISIS was a a good organization to be involved with. You seemed to be extraordinarily immune to the horrors that you'd seen. I mean, you talked about seeing severed heads in bins, and you said that it hadn't phased you. You even made some comments later on in in another interview about the Manchester Arena bombing. You said it was justified. It was uh, was tit for tat. Because ISIS were being bombed by various parties, it was reasonable for ISIS to bomb back. What do you think about and what do you say about that
0: now?
3: I do not believe that one evil justifies another evil. I I don't think that women and children should be being killed for other people's you know, motives and for other people's agendas. I, I did not know about the Manchester bombing when I was asked. I did not know that people were killed. I did not know that women and children were hurt because of it. So I I was just speaking without knowing fully what I was talking about. And obviously yeah, I was afraid of the women again.
2: Shamima, you seem to say you don't know a lot. The Manchester bombing left was the murder of 22 people people, including children. The youngest victim was eight years old. More than a thousand people were injured. It was a horrific attack. And for you to have said that there was a justification sickened everybody who heard what you said. And people find it hard to believe when you say, I didn't know about ISIS, I didn't know it was a death cult, I didn't know about the dreadful things that happened, and now you're saying, didn't know about the Manchester bombing, people are going to find it. Sickening to hear you claim ignorance of those things.
3: I, well, when I was 15 and I was doing my research on ISIS, most of the research I was getting was from people online in in ISIS because I thought that that would be the most reliable source because they're in ISIS and they were feeding me a lot of lies and they were giving me a lot of excuses about the things that maybe I was seeing on the media like the the attacks and things that ISIS were doing in Syria and Iraq. So they always had an excuse. And about the Manchester bombing and other bombings that happened while I was in ISIS, I had no connection to the outside world while I was in ISIS, I didn't have a phone, I didn't, my husband couldn't <coughs> use the internet, so we really were unaware of anything that was going on outside. We were only aware of what was going on within the Middle East.
0: Yeah, so, so just a quick note there, cause as I said on that point, she said she only sort of felt way about it when it came to the women and children. You think that there's, that's an issue because, you know, um, if if the men are at war and stuff and, or is it seen as justified, but she did go on to say, you know, that she was under, you know, the hypnotism of what she had been told. But um, that was a point that the public did pick up on as well. Well, ignorance or jahiliyah.
4: Going back to what I was, you know, the historical perspective on the the people of the Ahlul Bayt, whom Allah has spoke about extensively, whom he loves, where the divinity of the, the rules and regulations and the path to heaven and success in one's grave is, is vested in. The, the ignorance and the following, because it, in, Allah says in the Quran that Satan is a clear enemy to mankind, you see. So the issue of ignorance of Jahiliyyah is embedded in the Ahlul Sunnah cult, death cult. Going back to what I was saying, historically, uh, Abu Bakr, Umar, who were the founders of this death cult, uh, even the prophet's wife, Aisha, fought against in the battle of Jamal, fought against Imam Ali and where thousands of Muslims were killed. So one has to be armed with all this knowledge, But I'm hoping, I'm painting a picture for the audience that when we get to
0: the British Empire and we get to the creation of Saudi Arabia and Sir Lawrence of Arabia,
4: Major Lawrence of Arabia and the destruction of the Ottoman Caliphate, the Ottoman Caliphate also another satanic and non-Islamic, un-Islamic. You can't take over Hagia Sophia. You can't convert a church into a mosque. That's Iran. Allah's not backing that. Again, don't shoot the messenger. Look at the history books. So the creation of Saudi Arabia and the the Wahhabi ideology, which is based on Ibn Taymiyyah and Abu Bakr, hatred of the Ahlul Bayt, the Prophet's family, are all present in the rhetoric of this particular individual. And other individuals like Hamza Yusuf and all the rest, yeah, Hamza Yusuf and Timothy Winters in Cambridge, I call them Salafi lights. Yeah, they're like because they're Caucasian Europeans, you know. It, I call it Salafi light, but they're just as belligerent and hypocritical. Because ultimately, <laughs> Allah says in the Quran, "Iqra." That was the first command, which means read. <laughs> it's an ongoing process. One doesn't take one shahada and become a Muslim, and then that's it. And again, going back to what I was saying earlier about this atomization,
0: sound bites, you see. I've seen many young people fall. you know, I fell into the trap myself. You see hear these sound
4: bites, but you have to look at it. Use what again, I'm gonna use the Arabic term I'll translate for your audience. Aqal, intelligence. You have to use your intelligence. has given us a brain, you have to use your brain. When people, sort of like, in a very ignorant fashion, allow themselves and expose themselves to this hypocritical, murderous, terrorist, is, Islamic cult, they're doing it because it's all about choice. Everyone's got a free will. Yeah. You read the Quran. It's always mankind has free will. Mankind has free will. you get judged on the day of Yom Kiyama. It's about your free will, about the choices that you make. You see? So ISIS, and going back to the creation of, sorry, creation of Saudi So the British, and it's funny that this is called Good Morning Britain, the hypocrisy and the whole reason why GMB are not giving you the full analysis is because it was the British, subsequently later on, the Americans with the Petrodollar and the Nixon shock, of course, that created this terrorist organization. They're the ones to blame. They're the ones that helped in its proliferation by giving succor to the Saudi, which is a very satanic sort of like death cult in of itself, but it was created by the British. Saudi Arabia is a British, you know, you've got Sussex or Manchester and Birmingham or Saltley. Lake. Just like that was created, that's how, that, that's Saudi Arabia. You know, Hajj and Mecca and Medina are constructs of the British Empire or the city of London. Yeah. If we're, if we're talking petrodollars and riba and usury, usury, the wide sort of proliferation of usury, it's, it's all hypocrisy. And again, what I'm trying to do here, you know, the, 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 the young lady, she's been through very, a lot of trauma. So I'm painting this in very broad strokes for, for your audience. Yeah. There's a lot in this. But the main thing is, just like, and I'll use her own words, you see, we, we know of the analogy of, uh, of, of a plant. If the soil is rotten, you get rotten fruits. Yeah, <laughs> this is basic stuff. We can go biblical, we can go Judaism. It doesn't, Buddhist, whatever. It's just basic stuff. Yeah, it's rotten. ISIS, which is an offshoot of Salafi, Sort of like uh, Muslim Brotherhood, 60s, all these sort of like the Arab nations being in awe of white Caucasian technology and getting blinded by the science and falling for it. Freemasons, uh, you know, all that kind of good stuff. <clears throat> and it's just a complete hoodwink. So...
0: Bamboozled. I will that once again. That, sorry? oh yeah no i was just saying bamboozled you know uh, bamboozled uh, nothing, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, just,
4: it's just a hoodwink and the media plays its part so we're looking at these two comic comedians on gmb pretending you know all you know acting all like oh we're really disgusted i mean they're just a bunch of hypocrites because the british queen who stole black people and built her wealth, off theft and loot, and I, and I like to think I'm a bit of an expert. I, I was convicted in 2011 for looting during the riot. So there's my level of expertise in looting and thieving. And the, Her Majesty, who's the Queen of Jamaica, by the way, is a thief. They're criminals. Uh, the British Empire was built on theft, murder, and rape. Yeah? And on the flip side, the Islamic, so-called Islamic empires, were built on murder, rape, mutilating black boys. And what the, the picture I'm trying to paint here is all that murder and destruction and creation of Saudi Arabia, all that hypocrisy and murder is in these individuals that obviously follow that cult, right? How do I know? Because I, I was a Salafi. I was part of this, so I know exactly what it's like. I've still got friends who are Salafis and all the rest of it. but. All this stuff resides in the heart, it resides in the mind, and one has to purify oneself. One has to embrace the journey, do the research, read some history and be humble, you know? And then you'll get over it. But as far as this theatre of Salafis and, you know, we can't have GMB in a London studio where a stone's throw away is some Saudi ambassador in a casino, yeah? Just gambling away. But he's okay, but he's got exactly the same ideology, reads exactly the same books as ISIS. So it's it's all a big theatre. It's all a big charade. I see right through it. Hopefully, um, any of your listeners to, to, to this will have... Uh, you know, again, I'm no scholar, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no learned, but I, I, let, let me break it down like this. She's live from Syria. I went to Syria, Damascus in 95, 96. I was there for three months and I'd just sort of come out of the whole Salafi thing. He was doing my head, he was getting on my nerves. The people, Abu Montessi, he was some jihadi I, I think he's reformed now, but all these sorts of people who were getting on my nerves, talking about jihad, 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 and the Bosnia thing. And I said, look, mate, Al-Qaeda as well. I said, look, mate, I'm not going to be, I'm no one's cannon fodder, yeah? I put in work, you know, as a ex-Zulu, as a, you know, as a football hooligan on the fringes in town. I know what's what, want, yeah? And I said, I'm not going to be no one's cannon fodder. So I said no. And then I went to Syria. And Syria... Is a bar just like Iraq, and again, many listeners would would have got this through all the BBC and ITV propaganda, Channel Four propaganda. Iraq and Syria are Ba'athists; they're socialists. It's Marxists. You see, it's secular. It's got nothing to do with Islam in that in that respect. Yeah, as we've already discussed with the Sunni Shia split, etc., etc. So. I, uh Half is our asset, still president there, big cheese, and I met some Algerian Salafis, you know, very murderous bunch. Yeah, I mean, these are, even just the way they talk it was like they were going to kill each other, very murderous Salafis with the ISIS. So and their history, you know, do do looking up on Google, it's very murderous, very terrible. The point being, I'm out there in Syria, and there's a scholar by the name of. Dr. Saeed Ramadan al Bouti, And Sheikh Buti was known as the scholar of the Levant. So Lebanon, Syria, you know, all that sort of region. Big scholar. And these Salafis used to take me to the Umayyad mosque, the main masjid in a, in Damascus. And I'd listen to the sheikh. My Arabic was a brilliant. I mean, it's not good now, but... Now, this sheikh was in his 80s then, probably. But he was so humble but he was a sunni scholar working with a shiite offshoot which are alawites so again i'm going back to that idea of unity of mercy even though people have got like what you said as well about even though there's a famous saying from imam ali peace be upon him where he says look just because you're a muslim non-muslims are your brothers in humanity very famous statement, yeah? So that's what I live by. You know, if we don't share the same religion, you're still my brothers and sisters in humanity. You're still my neighbour. You still have... that. You have rights over me, you see? And that's very much what the Ahlul Bayt sort of... That was their message, as opposed to Abu Bakr and Umar, which was kill, 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 and kill, <laughs> yeah? And... Okay, going back to Syria. So this, this great Sheikh, I had the pleasure, I had the good fortune to be invited to his house. So I actually met Sayyid Ramadan al-Buti, Dr Sayyid Ramadan al-Buti. And he was just a very humble man. He was, he was just great. He told me to stay in Syria. The wife at the time was expecting twins. I mean, big girls now, you know, uh, granddad, of course. But at the time, you know, I, I, I had to dip back to Britain. Now, fast forward, I think 2000, the latter part of uh, 2012, 2000, I forget which, they blew him up. So they assassinated him. It's on YouTube, you know, when the revolution in Syria with ISIS, going back to uh, Shamima, you see. And the, what what alarmed me was at the funeral at the janaza of Sayyid Ramadan Al Buti, no one claimed responsibility. There was no major investigation. Remember, this was a big scholar, yeah? I mean, huge, huge scholar. A he was an intellectual heavyweight. No one's investigated. I I still ask the question: Where? Who are the killers? Where's all the? Whether you're Iranian, whether it's Hezbollah, whether it's the Muslim Brotherhood, whether it's even Saudis, who, whoever. Why haven't you investigated this murder? Where's the care? You know what I mean? It's like no one cares. I care. I still remember the, the sheikh. He was good to me. So that's what I'm trying to say about this murderous sort of vein that's in this Islamic milieu, whether it's Shia, whether it's Sunni, whatever. You know, and again, it's separate from the Ahlul Bayt, which ISIS, CIA... MI5, GMB, BBC, On my research, my 30 years of research, this is just a continuation of the hatred for the Prophet and the Prophet's family. And that's what ICE is. ICE is like a little baby incubator. You know, Salafi, Islam is just an incubator, a little brainwashing academy (laughs) to instill in these young people's minds hatred, and this is the irony, yeah, this is the supreme paradoxic irony, yeah and shameen Begum, Mozam, Hamza Yusuf they're just a similitude and a metaphor for the hatred and the belligerence of the so-called Muslim Ummah against Imam Ali And the Prophet's beloved family, the Prophet loved his family is, I guess, the one takeaway that I want to give, you know, in in this sort of short talk. And, you know, the the peak of this, the peak of all of this is 61 AH. So I've already sort of talked about 11 AH when the Prophet, after Hijra, sorry, when the Prophet was dying and how terribly he was treated by Umar and Abu Bakr. The founders of the Sunni Islam, which is followed by a billion people, lest we forget, yeah. But where this all crystallized was when the Prophet's grandson, Imam Hussein, and, you know, I mentioned Mu'aw- Muawiyah, the Christian Caliph, which may shock a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, but that's them's the facts, them's the historical facts. Anyway, his son, Yazid, who was Totally, you know, even Sunnis and Muslim uh, Shia agree. He was just a complete Kafir, he was a complete disbeliever, complete monarchic. Um, he now has got the caliphate and the grandson of the Prophet, Imam Hussein, with his, some say, 72, 73 companions, and wait for it, wait for it, funds, against 20,000 people, yeah. He stood against, so one man against 20,000 on the plains of Karbala stood for truth and justice. It wasn't a revolution. Don't let anyone, you know, listeners, you know, viewers, do not be fooled by revolution and thorah and Iranian revolution. Don't fall into that trap, yeah? It wasn't a thawra, which is from Ithara, which is to till the land and oxen. There was no tilling of the land. Imam Hussein had the religious authority of truth and justice this is about truth and justice so he stood remember this is the prophet's grandson yeah who had a high status and even the people in the opposition in the twenty thousand shimar of bin joshin so shimar who was who was fighting against imam hussein previously was in imam hussein's army yeah this is the the, the beneficence of Aflo Bait. Even their enemies were with them at some point, you see, benefiting from mercy. Going back to the initial thing what I was saying about shamir you've got to be merciful. I'm not here to, you know, harm the sister or put her down in any no. way. That's not the point of this. Well, so, I think,
0: and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you did make a great point about just, um, you know, truth and justice and sort of that being you know, the the stance that people should take and um give them great examples and stuff of that. Um you did also lend your voice to some of the hypocrisy that is seen not just within one side of the coin but on the other side even amidst the UK and the BBC and stuff like that as well. Um with that being said, I mean for the most part, you know, you've given us quite a lot to definitely look into and um you know, you really broke a lot of things down that I'm hoping the listeners as well will be able to check out some additional stuff and stuff as well like that. Sure. But um you know, to the the point of, you know, this fight for the return to the UK, do you feel as though she should be allowed to return to the UK and it be dealt with here? Or do you think it's a case of she's made her abandoned now? She must sort of blame it?
4: Well, again, you know, we, we have to talk about hypocrisy and the massive amounts of hypocrisy. You've got BAE systems, you've got the Queen, you've got various universities around the world. Sorry, the universities in Britain, killing people, blowing up human beings. You know, you know, you've got the coltan mining and exploitation of African minerals to build all these systems. It's just satanic deviltry. <laughs> on mass we've talked about the aristocracy and their looting and their welfare system so for heaven's sake give this young lady a break yeah um you know we've got 007 for example which is like the media propaganda of trained killers for the state if you will they're gonna have i think uh, a, a black woman who's gonna be a 007 just to further reinforce the sort of brainwashing you know, because you've got sort of like afro Caribbean people, African people said, "Oh, don't give her anything. Let her rot and blah blah blah." Which is just pure hypocrisy of the highest order. I've got no time for it. I've said what I've said. You know what I mean? And I stand by it. Let give give the young lady another chance. You know, she's been through a very traumatic
0: experience. Don't be a bunch of hypocrites. Grow up. I know definitely. Um, so um we definitely appreciate you lending your voice to this topic. Now we did reiterate we do want to reiterate, I should say, that you are speaking for obviously yourself and um in the best way you can. You're not speaking for everybody, so we don't want anybody jumping on any oh he said this and all oh, this that you know. We wanna keep it at a certain level. And we definitely appreciate just the additional information and insight you've given us because I do feel as though sometimes major mainstream platforms, and sometimes other smaller mediums as well, are not having all the information and able to put all the stuff out. Or in some cases, they do have it and don't want to put it out. So I think the listeners and the British public that we have really appreciate hearing from this and the family around the world and stuff too, man. Nice one. You're welcome. Peace out, man. So um, much love, man. So we definitely want to say peace to the family. Let us know your thoughts in the comments down below what you guys think of this situation, and scenario, and any questions, do let us know and drop a dive there too. Peace. Peace family, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and check us out on now.online.com. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook for exclusive playlists. And social media for all different types of segments and content.